Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This episode is brought to you by Manscaped. Experience the best man's grooming brand for below the waist hygiene. Go to manscaped.com now and use the discount code GEGEN2021. That's G E G E N 2021 for 20% off your first order. Trust me, your boss will thank you. Ich war seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn. And joining me, as always, is the area manager and writer for Transfer Mart, Manuel Veith. Manu, how you been? I'm doing pretty good, uh, Bryce. Um, I thought of an interesting match day this week and lots of really big topics to discuss. And yeah, I got to chat to Chris yesterday. That was awesome. And we're going to have a really good guest on today. So really looking forward to this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. It, it it almost seems the amount of things that are going on off the field, you know, are uh, are getting most of the headlines. So we've, we, as always, we've got plenty to talk about after match day twenty nine has been concluded. So, um, as Manu said, um, he did speak to Chris yesterday. This being Sunday, that being Saturday, obviously, um, and they've done a little segment which we'll get to shortly. But in Chris's replacement this week, uh, we're very excited to have freelance sports journalist Marie Schulte-Bookham on with us. Marie, thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Hi. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be with you guys today. Well, I suppose before we, we move on to the, the segment with uh, Manu and, and Chris did separately about uh, coach changes, um, Marie, j- just fill us in a, a little bit um, about yourself. If anyone doesn't know you, well, shame on them. But um, <laughs> you, you're obviously covering the Bundesliga, other sports, but you know, ex- explain how you managed to get into it. Sure. So I grew up in Germany uh, near Hamburg as a kid and then moved to England when I was 10 with my family so kind of grew up around two very big um, football cultures and uh, then moved to the US and uh, for a college and then worked uh, for two years as a sports reporter with Focus Online in Munich um, mainly covering the Bundesliga and the German national team and now I'm a grad student at Columbia University's journalism school in New York and um Yeah, I really like covering football and the NBA. So basketball and football are kind of my main um, sports. But I'm one of those people that will watch anything and talk about anything. I'm I'm working on a story right now about Formula One in the US. So um, yeah, and I, I host a weekly video show called Marie's Bundesliga Minutes. So if you guys want to check that out, you can just search it on YouTube. Um, I usually record on Sunday Sundays, so like today. Um, will there'll be a new episode excellent and i must say the the videos are brilliant so guys yeah definitely uh, seek them out um and yeah ch- tune in i suppose but um yeah as we said um chris and manu spoke uh on saturday evening about the coach changes that are going on in the bundesliga it, it seems like it's all go 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 with it so um i'm gonna pass over to that uh where the guys will discuss it a bit more in depth Hernandez. now davies 
Back in the side after that red card. This is looking dangerous for Wolfsburg. Jamal Musiala! And the first goal of the game is there after just 15 minutes. He just dribbles his way through nearly the entire Wolfsburg defence to score. He's level with Rocky Santa Cruz now as the youngest player to score five goals for Bayern. So yeah, that goal by Musiala should have written all the headlines as he becomes the youngest player in the Bundesliga to score six goals. But while he was fantastic, Chris, it was his head coach that made all the news today, wasn't it? Wow, what a strange ending to a day that I didn't think had happened. I, I, first of all, I thought Wolfsburg would beat Bayern. I thought that was going to be the result after Leipzig falling short. I think that was probably the natural next step for Leipzig to drop points and then for Bayern to lose. That didn't happen. And then, of course, Hansi Flick drops a bomb, which for me, I don't know about you, Manu, that is a total power play, taking everybody by surprise. He may have mentioned it privately, but I think to mention it live on ARD, to say that he wants to leave at the end of the year, and he wants to terminate his contract. I think that is a power play. I know he sort of stepped back a little bit in the press conference that followed that, but to say that live on television, it forces everybody's hand. It, it makes it known to the DFB. It makes it known to the whole population of Germany. And it sort of puts Bayern in a, in a difficult position into a corner, backs them into a corner. Do they take on the national side? Do they try and say no to Flick? Or do they sack Hassan Samahalidic? Yeah, I want to terminate my contract this summer. That is a fact. Um, that's, that's what Hansi Flick said said a bunch of other things too that he wanted to let the team know first that you know this wasn't a decision that wasn't easy for him um, then of course this was all on live television to you know a, a million million people audience uh, the sports show gets between 8 million, eight to 10 million um, views you know a, a week so it's like this is this was a big audience that saw this live basically on television unfold and um, he Back paddles just a tiny bit at the press conference, Chris. He says something like, um, well, this isn't quite a fact yet. Um, it's a decision that he has made, but of course he is under contract. And ultimately the board is the one to decide. And the, the board is very pro-flick. Um, and Karl-Heinz Rummenigge has said that he's going to fight for his head coach there. He really wants to keep him. Um, of course, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge is stepping down this summer, right? And it's going to be replaced by Oliver Kahn. And... As you said, it could be a power play. This this has been reported that um, you know we all know Flick and Hassan Salihamidzic don't get uh, on with each other, and there is a lot of controversy uh, surrounding Salihamidzic and his transfer policy. I think Flick is a hundred percent spot on when he says the squad this year wasn't as good as it was last year, and you know he's not in charge of putting together the squad. The sporting director is. So this could very much be a power play. I mean, the question is, who's going to win that power play? Um, I would argue, and I'm curious what you think, Chris, has, uh, Flick doesn't really have anything to lose here, does he? No, I think that he's he's got everything to gain because either he gets his way and Hassan goes, which I think if you read between the lines, they don't get on. I mean, it was only said the other week they don't have to be lovers to work together. So I think that gives you an indication of the... The, the disconnect that they have um, personally. I mean, um, professionally, they probably get on very well, but you need those personal relationships at a top club like Bayern. And 
maybe he wants a different sporting director. Um, he may get one. So if that happens, he wins. Or if he leaves and takes over the German national side, that's also a win for him. This was always going to be a really testing season for me, for Hansi Flick, because he pretty much won everything in, in half a season almost. Um, he, he comes in, he reignites Bayern, they win, um, they win everything, they win the treble. He then goes into the next season, they then become world champions, Super Cup winners as well. Um, they win those six trophies. And I genuinely don't know where you go from then. In, in your first 18 months as a manager, you win everything on offer. That's, that's as good as it gets because the next season, the likelihood of you winning all six trophies is pretty minimal. So it's downhill from then on. So he gets the opportunity to go back to the German national side. And maybe for him personally, he gets to show everybody that actually what Joachim Löw did by winning the World Cup, that was all about me. And I know coaches are quite they're quite confident and they're quite upfront and they back themselves. And I think Hansi Flick would like to show everybody that maybe that German victory against Argentina was down to him more than anyone else. I think it's an interesting point that you bring up with him having won everything that you can win at Bayern Munich. And sure, you can do it all again. And I think that the the football that Bayern Munich have played all this year has been wonderful. And yes, there has been a lot of setbacks, which in many ways were to be expected, considering that their last season didn't end until the end of August, right? And they had not a single game between their Champions League win and like their first game against Schalke because there was no time for season preparation. The Champions League tournament that they ended up winning was essentially the season preparation for this year, right? And that's extremely difficult. And it's sometimes it's just tiny margins. I mean, they went out against Paris Saint-Germain, clearly it being the better team, on the away goal rule. And it shows you how difficult it is in the sport to repeat success, right? To constantly be at this very highest level at all the time. And at Bayern Munich, you are at a club where you have the highest possible expectations as a head coach. But at the same time, you are not given the responsibility or the um, the permission to say to really have a word in how the squad is being put together. And this is something that at Bayern has been an issue for quite some time. We remember the time doing Pep Guardiola, who really heavily clashed with Bayern's board. I mean, there's an argument to be made either way, right? That maybe the head coach is not the one to put together the team. The board is supposed to put together the team and the coach just coaches. But understand why someone like Flick wants to have decision-making power. And when you, if you don't give get all this decision-making power, working in a stressful environment like Bayern, and you have already won everything, I get it why you maybe want to leave and do something else. I mean, he could go on now, coach the German national team, win a World Cup, win the Euros... And have literally won everything as a head coach in the shortest possible time. I think that would be a new record, right? Yeah, imagine he imagine he takes over for the next World Cup and then wins that and then wins the next Euros, which would be his first one. I mean, he's he's young. He'd he would have won everything. Um but and, and he'd now be looking at retirement. And we're gonna get on to maybe who comes in. I think this would be Nagelsmann's biggest problem, Julian Nagelsmann's biggest problem if he joined Bayern would be that, you know, he's so young. Um and if he if he won everything with them, 
what's he going to do? Just stay there for another 30 years? Because some head coaches go on. I mean, look at your Hankers. You know, he is just, I mean, to say so old is, is disrespectful, but in a good way. He was coaching in, you know, some real late years that you wouldn't be expected. Julian Nagelsmann is literally years away from that. So if he gets it right, if he does come in, if Flick goes and Nagelsmann comes in, he could genuinely be there for years. And I, I don't see how that can appeal to anyone because coaches always like a challenge. I mean, I think the days of, especially if you look at someone like Arsene Wenger, who spent a long time at Arsenal, I think those days are gone. Um, coaches come in and they've got like a three to four year cycle and then they either move on to another club or to a national side or, you know, it goes completely wrong inside of those four years and they get sacked. Um, and that's the that's the decision that coaches have to make. So if Flick goes, who comes in? But this will be a, a big question because I don't think Bayern can afford to get it wrong. If Hassan stays and Oliver Kahn comes in, they have to get the next appointment right otherwise they could be in a Borussia Dortmund type situation a very interesting question though right because so much points to one towards Julian Nagelsmann being the obvious choice to be the next Bayern Munich head coach if Flick leaves um, and this is still an if it's not 100% decided I, I personally think after what happened today Flick is probably gone but you know um I lean on the careful side because I've seen things turn around very quickly. But let's say Nagelsmann does come in. He's a guy um, who's 33, right? And by many accounts, and we've seen this many times this year, is not quite the finished product. I think he is a fantastic coach, especially when you consider how young he is. He is someone who is an innovator. He is someone who um, can elevate teams. But he's also someone who still at times gets it very wrong. I mean, the formation against Wolfsburg, it's very late until he realizes that maybe he's gotten it wrong and brings on the right strikers. And yes, I mean, God forbid, ball comes off Polson's arm and the goal doesn't count and the title race is over, right? I mean, that's unlucky, but you shouldn't have to rely on the 96th minute to score a winner is my point here, right? And we've seen this so many times. We've seen it against Liverpool this season. We've seen it against Paris Saint-Germain in the semi-final last year. There is still times where he just doesn't quite get it right. And you could say, okay, well, let Leipzig aren't as good as Bayern. I would say the quality difference this year isn't that big, right, in many regards. So Nagelsmann, let's say, is he the right coach? Before we even talk about the financials, if it's possible, or do you think he is the guy to do it? Because I'm not sure he's quite there yet. Yeah, it's a really good point. Someone asked me this question on um, Twitter before, and they said, do you think Nagelsmann will go to Bayern because it's such a big job early in his career? And I said, yeah, I think he would go, but it is a massive job. I think he'd go because he's a confident guy. I think we all know he's a really confident guy. He's confident in his own ability, and, and you do need that as a young coach. But at Bayern Munich, there's no room and there's certainly no appetite at the supervisory level to have somebody develop there, you either win or you get sacked. There's no middle ground. And whilst he's shown the ability at Leipzig to be a top coach, as you quite rightly pointed out, he's made some naive mistakes at times, but he gets that cushion at Leipzig. Leipzig allow him to do that. You don't get that at Bayern. You know, if you go out the Champions League early, 
like Nico Kovac did, if you go out of the Pokal early, like Hansi Flick's did. Hansi Flick has got a lot of credit in the bank because of last season. Had he not got that, Bayern go out of the Pokal really early. He's under immense pressure. If that happens to Nagelsmann, they go out of the Champions League and they go out of the DFB Pokal early on. He's under immense pressure because you don't get that development time. Bayern want the top coach ready to go. And it's a really good question. Is Nagelsmann at that level? I would say no, but then he could get to Bayern and he could be right. I can't make any mistakes now. This is it. And he could level that out and he could get it right. And he could be there for years, but it's a really big gamble. And it's a big gamble for him as well, because he will know that if he goes there and it goes wrong and he gets sacked after three, four, five, six months, if he ends up like Kovac Mark II, it's a big stain on his managerial or his head coaching career when he's in his 30s and he has to recover from that. Yeah, and that gets us to the, if it's even possible, right? Because um, we do know that Nagelsmann does not have an exit clause. And we do know that he's under contract long-term at Leipzig. And we do know from the statements made by Leipzig and Nagelsmann himself during last week when it slowly started to become apparent that Flick is going to lean towards leaving Bayern Munich, that it's not a given that he's going there. Um, some of the financial details that have been mentioned that Leipzig will not start thinking about even considering terminating the contract with Nagelsmann unless Bayern pay between 15 and 20 million euros for a coach. <laughs> that does a lot of money. And um, we're talking in that time of COVID where clubs literally turn every penny around just to sign new players, right? So this is this is a, this is going to be very difficult. And Nagelsmann has said all conditions have to be right. So he might very well say, okay, look, I know the Bayern job is still there in two or three years because like whoever comes in now is not going to be there for very long. And if Flick does stay, then I'm, he's probably going to leave in a couple of years' time after that. So he might very well say, look, this is not the time yet, and Leipzig is not going to let me go anyway. So that's an easy out for him, right? So it's it's really interesting. But if it does happen, there will be a new record transfer for a head coach in the Bundesliga. And that gets us to our next topic, Chris, because the guy that currently holds that record is an Austrian called Adi Hütter, who has just announced that he's going to leave Eintracht Frankfurt for 7.5 million euros and join Borussia Mönchengladbach, the very team he played against this weekend in a very important match to qualify his club for the Champions League, and he lost. Um, we've seen a lot of that in the Bundesliga this year, and I think it's a, a trend that is a little bit worrying um, to a lot of degrees. With these like winter clauses, if you want to call them that, it gives the ability for head coaches to move on. And I know we're past uh, winter, but it's a very strange situation this this particular season. And we do see coaches leaving. If you go back to Nagelsmann announced he was going to leave Hoffenheim and join Leipzig at the start of one season, and he had that whole season there, which you know ironically ended uh, not the best way. They were Champions League qualifiers the season before. They were doing really well. Top four side in the Bundesliga. He announces he's going. All of a sudden, um, I think they're struggling. So, if my memory corrects me, I don't even think they qualified for Europe that year. They were they were that poor. And and it's strange. We've seen what's happened to Gladbach since Rosa said he was leaving. And now, just when they look like that Champions League place is theirs, and it, and I think I said a couple of weeks ago it's theirs to lose. Now Adi Huta says he's leaving. 
which for me is very strange, Manu, because he's going from a, a Frankfurt side, which looked like they're about to awaken um, and become a big side again. And he's going to go to Gladbach, who who were this team two, three years ago and are now looking like they're at the bottom of their cycle again, needing a rebuild. But as we know, Freddie Bobic is leaving. Maybe Adi Hutter got a little bit scared because he thought Ralph Ragnick was going to come in. That now doesn't like it look like it's going to happen. It's been a real weird couple of weeks. Um, it's a strange one for me because I don't... I understand how relevant and how much it must be, how brilliant it must be for a coach to work under someone like Freddie Bobic. And if he's going, then really, I think there's only one man who can replace him, and that's Max Herbel. And he's at Gladbach, so that does make sense to me. But he's just got to start again. Adi Hutte came in, took over from Nico Kovac, who'd won the DFB Pokal, left to go to Bayern, and he was given the... The, the test of taking them to that next level to take over what Kovac did and to take them back. And he's done it pretty much. I think we can probably say they'll qualify for Champions League. He's done it. He's done everything that was asked of him. And now he's going to walk away at the very top and, and, and try and do it all again with a glad backside who could have a mass exodus of talent in the summer. They've got some real quality players who might be picked off. Now they're not going to be in the Champions League either. So it's a strange situation, but... Yeah, it's been a, an absolute manic 10 days or so. Yeah, the merry-go-round. I think uh, both of us have used the GIF with the carousel quite a lot. So I think it's been very manic. And it's it's very difficult to kind of keep track of it too because like, we're not just talking about head coaches. You rightfully point out Bobic leaving uh, for Hertha, a team that's currently in quarantine, so might not even in the Bundesliga anymore when the dust settles on, on this crazy 2020 21 season but um i think it's it's really interesting with hütter leaving and frankfurt in the champions league and that gap to dortmund and i think that is the important gap to keep in mind here could shrink to four points um we're re-recording this segment on saturday and we're going to have the segment on dortmund later on in this podcast right so um could shrink to four points so caveat on that but um, I think it is really interesting this this whole merry-go-round and this this decisions now that coaches leave for a transfer fee. It's a really interesting development as well that all of a sudden coaches like players and maybe that's the way it should be. And really interesting, Jesse March, um, who is a coach that we're probably going to have to mention a lot in this podcast because he's being linked to all sorts of Bundesliga teams, said last week that this is probably the development of the future that coaches will now cost a transfer fee. And that's probably the correct thing. I think it's actually the, a good thing because they, they, after all, the ones that take the most responsibility are the most important position for Bundesliga sides. So uh, it's an interesting development. It gives mentioning Jesse Marsh, Chris. Um, looks like Marsh is in a very good position at the moment, isn't he? Because he wants to go to Germany. He's, I, I know he categorically said uh, on the press conference that uh, he's under contract until 2022. I think that's the the sort of answer you give whenever you are being asked a controversial question like, are you going to leave? Um, but he's in a pretty comfortable position right now because there's a lot of interesting openings right now in Germany. And Frankfurt, we don't know who's going there. Uh, Leipzig could potentially look for a coach. Bayern could potentially look for a coach. Leverkusen is an option. I mean... This is there's a lot of things happening at the moment and where we don't know what's going on. Like 
Who's going to take Frankfurt, Chris? Yeah, it's a good question. So I know Football Index, Football Trader, I know that's collapsed and a lot of people lost a lot of money. But if it was still going, I would be pumping my available cash into Jesse Marsh because um, he his stock is growing by the day. And he, he must just be about, I mean, I hope his email address can take the amount of emails that he's going to get because he will be inundated by clubs, I think. And with good reason. He did very well at the New York Red Bulls, came over to RB Leipzig, worked under Ralph Ragnick, um, got on tremendously well with all of those players. Now gone over to um, Red Bull Salzburg, has played some phenomenal football. I was lucky enough to see his team play at Anfield um, with Haaland and everybody in. And you know they almost pulled off a real big shock in that game. I think they were the surprise package out of that Champions League group. They were very unlucky not to qualify out of that um, group. They they play some great football. He speaks really good German. I was blown away in that press conference. Um, I didn't realise how good his German was in the, in the press conference at Anfield after when he answered all the Austrian questions in German. Um, yeah, he, he's got it all. He's got that he's got that tick box. I spoke to Tyler Adams as well when I was at Leipzig once who spoke very, very highly of him. So he's still well-liked at that club. He knows the club inside out. You know, I think we've joked before when players move um, from Salzburg to Leipzig, it's it's a familiar surrounding for them. I mean, for Jesse Marsh, it would be a home from home. Um, New York Red Bulls setup is exactly the same as it is in Salzburg, as it is in Leipzig, as it is in Ghana, as it is in Brazil. So you can move between these clubs quite easily. Let's not forget that the late, great Gerard Houllier, who was a big person in the Red Bull football setup, really bought into Jesse Marsh. So... I would be shocked if he went anywhere else. He, you know, he seems like the the perfect company man for them. It's almost like he's been bred for this big job to deliver a Bundesliga title at Leipzig. Now, whether that happens, we wait to see. But I'm pretty sure there will be clubs all over the place. I think he would be a great fit at Leverkusen. I think he would be a great fit at Frankfurt. Um, he can literally choose his club. I think. Yeah, and I, I think the final point um, to round this coaching segment up is what's going to happen to Ralf Rangnick he's being talking to everyone in Germany and taking no jobs at all um, really curious to see what's going to eventually happen to him because he was really much the front runner for a moment there in Frankfurt had a meeting all of a sudden all sorts of stuff got leaked about exit clauses and players potentially leaving and uh, those talks colli collapsed before that it was kind of the same at Schalke If Flick leaves, the German national team coach is gone too. Yeah, um, what's going to happen to Rangnick? Hertha maybe, Chris? I mean, it's a really interesting one for me. Ralph Rangnick's such an interesting character because I think we all know how revolutionary his philosophy of football has been, not just on German football, but I think it's sort of spread throughout Europe and even say possibly the world. The way he approaches the game, the way he looks at it, the way he thinks about it. But he always has a lot of control at clubs. And when you're looking at going into a club, people don't like that amount of control. You know, we've spoken before about at Schalke. Look at the, the people walked out that, that meeting at Schalke in the, in the supervisory board meeting. People actually walked out and left because they didn't want Ralph Ragnick to go because they know that the amount of power he has would see them out of a job. Um, so if he went into somewhere like Hertha, 
he would I think he would immediately clash with Freddie Bobic who's going in there because if he was the coach he's more than a coach and and we've seen him coach and he coaches very well but he's done more than that so I think it's almost like if you're a CEO and you then drop down to be a middle manager if the the other middle managers around you will be like this guy knows what he's doing my job could be on the line and I think he threatens people not intentionally not physically not verbally I think his presence makes other people feel uncomfortable because of how good and how successful he is and therefore I think people are a little bit unwilling to take him on I think if he went to the DFB he'd shake it up and I don't think the people at the very top of the DFB are ready for a shake-up and some of them certainly wouldn't want that because they knew or they know that they'd be out of a job. That happened at Schalke. Probably something similar happened at Frankfurt as well. He's a really interesting character because he's another guy who could go anywhere he wants, but the power he has and the experience and the ability I think makes a lot of people feel uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I think so too, Chris. I think um, it's going to be very interesting to see what's going to happen with Ralph Rangnick and probably a story that's going to be with us for quite some time. But yeah, thanks once again, Chris. It was great having you on the show. I know you're very busy with Amazon and um, going to be on Amazon tomorrow. So enjoy that. This episode is brought to you by Manscaped. Experience the best man's grooming brand for below the waist hygiene. Go to manscaped.com now and use the discount code GEGEN2021. That's G-E-G-E-N-2021 for 20% off your first order. Trust me, your balls will thank you. Okay, yeah, it was good to hear Chris's voice again, wasn't that? I must say. Um, a great segment, guys. Um, Marie, I'm, I'm going to go to you on this. Um, the first thing to talk about is, uh, well, to, to get your opinion just on the whole flick scenario at the moment. It's uh, incredible, really, the backwards and forth um, and w- what's happening. Yeah, for sure. I, I do think it was ballsy by Flick to to go public because there's no turning back from this. And I mean, something that I find is missing from the conversation a little bit is that he does have a contract until 2023. So Bayern in many ways would be doing him a favor if they allow him to, to leave his contract early. And uh, no one seems to be talking about that. You know, it, it's very uncommon for coaches to to do something like this. And I think for Bayern as well, it's it's a little painful and a, a bit of a stab in the heart that this other, you know, big, big coaching position in Germany to coach the national team is clearly being preferred by Flick over his job at Bayern Munich. Because um, I think Bayern's understanding is that they're an even more global brand um, of, of football in some ways. And this is you know, there's like a little dent in that um, understanding here. And of course, Bayern Munich released a statement this morning saying they did not welcome this unilateral, um, you know, decision by Click Flick to go public. And they had previously agreed with him that he should focus on the three upcoming Bundesliga games. And um, it seems from Bayern's statements, of course, we, we don't know um, anything about what goes on behind the scenes, that this is in some ways a broken agreement um, that, you know, Flick pretty much decided spontaneously to come out yesterday. And, um, you know, there are all these media reports from Germany now that 
like the Bayern bosses were already on the way to the plane. <laughs> and yeah, I think there's this word, um, this expression for Bayern that's been used um, over and over again over decades, FC Hollywood. And um, yeah, this is very much FC Hollywood once again. Yeah, it definitely seems that way, doesn't it? Uh, plenty of uh, drama at the moment. Uh, uh, Marie, d- just to go back to you uh, very briefly before we uh, move uh, away from this uh Particular topic. I mean, do you think uh, Nagelsmann may get the role there, or if not, who who would you possibly like to see go to Bayern? Sure. Well, I think Nagelsmann would be the ideal successor. Um, I do think, though, that if Leipzig were not to release him, then I don't think Nagelsmann would, um, you know, be very upset for a very long time because he's at a you know really able club, able to compete in Europe, uh, able to spend a lot on acquiring great players. I think in some ways, Leipzig's midfield and attacking options, the sheer like breadth of them. So if you look at, you know, the squad, you you know, you can choose between guys like Tyler Adams, Sabitzer, Danny Olmo, Nkunku, Forsberg, Paulsen, Serlot. I mean, there are so many fantastic players um, that I think just that sheer... Um, volume of talent is almost unparalleled in the Bundesliga now. You know, Bayern, you see even, you know, when there are a few injuries, you really see that on on the bench because they then have to fill up the bench with young players from from the academy. Um, And Leipzig doesn't have that problem. Not saying it's a problem, you know, sometimes that can be a real gift. But um, Nagelsmann could do much worse than staying at Leipzig um, and I do think you know we forget sometimes because he's been around so long how young he is he's in his 30s and he has you know 20 to 30 years of coaching ahead of him if he wants to <laughs> so if if it's not this time then maybe another time and as to your question about alternatives I would be very interested to see Eric Ten Hag um, so the Ajax um you know, he was so successful with Ajax in that Champions League run two years ago and plays very attractive, attacking football, has always had good relationships with his players, something that's very important at a club like Bayern, uh, where there are so many egos. And I think that could be a good fit. I know that Allegri is being discussed as well by the media, is being thrown in there. In some ways, that would be a good fit. I just wonder if, you know, it would be a little bit more risky given he doesn't speak German. And, you know, we know that Ten Hag was with the Bayern reserves before. So he he knows the club a little bit. There's there's some kind of mutual respect and trust that's already likely to be there. He knows the club's DNA. And I, I think in some ways Ten Hag uh, might even be the more likely option at this point in time than Nagelsmann. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see just what way it twists and turns. I think there's going to be more to this story as the weeks go on, isn't there? Um, yeah, so Julian Nagelsmann, we, we mentioned him. Well, the next time we're going to see uh, his side come up against someone is going to be the RB Leipzig taking on FC Köln. Manu, last week we had the breaking news of Marcus Giestel being released from his job at Köln and then Friedhelm. Funkel coming in. Uh, they lost this weekend to Leverkusen, late kickoff, um, which is no surprise to anyone. What is a surprise is the comments that he made um, after the game in an interview. Manu, what, what what's the story here, and what's uh, what's the update? I suppose as to what's happening 
Not a lot is happening. I think Köln have kind of backpedaled on this this comment. And I think we, we kind of need to say what the comment was first, right? Um, Friedhelm Funkel asked after the game what the difference was between his side and uh, Leverkusen. And he said, Leverkusen have this tremendous pace due to their, yes, there are one or two expressions you're not allowed to use anymore due to their players who are just as fast. And a lot of people are saying, what is he trying to say? And who does he mean? I mean, obviously, he means the likes of Diaby and Bailey and so on, right? Um, who are very fast. I mean, Leverkusen have a very squat, fast fast uh, team but what does he mean with like there's certain expressions you're not allowed to say anymore and I think um, having having spoken to some people who have worked with Friedhelm Funke before they were not surprised by these comments at all because there has been apparently incidences in the past where he where it stood out that he has um, certain ideas and thinkings and um, he then you know Köln released a statement after the next match day saying, well, all he, all he wanted to say is that they have certain fast players. That's it. But we talked about this before the podcast, Marie. What were the words that were you, he was not allowed to use anymore? Like, what, what were the expressions? I mean, this, this is just such muddled water, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to take that as a rhetorical question because I, I don't have an answer for you. I have no idea what words, um, you know, he felt like he had to suppress and... It was just really gross in many ways because the interviewer laughed as well, the Sky reporter, and they were both just kind of like giggling. And it was just like this very, you know, it's it's like a bygone era of of really um, prejudiced people in football. And I think I was shocked that, you know, this that the reporter just let this slide. You know, he could have easily asked a follow-up question, which players are you referring to? what term do you mean? Um, and I know it's sometimes harder to do that under pressure, but that's what we expect from these type of reporters who are, you know, privileged enough to, to really um, direct such nationally televised um, Bundesliga games. You know, it's kind of like the, the top of the profession in many ways. And this is part of the job. And I, I just think all in all, this is, this is just something where no one comes out looking very good. And Cologne, you know, with their very meager explanation, if you can call it that, on Twitter, they basically just backed Funkel and said the same thing again. And I, you know, it's it's just ugly. You also have to wonder about the players of color in Cologne's squad and, you know, what they must be thinking hearing these comments. Um, and... You know, if they're thinking, oh, my God, does he just see me as like, you know, like a racehorse? Um, and it's just I mean, we were talking earlier as well before the recording about the fact that there is really no strong correlation at all between speed and color. Um, you know, Marco Royce, Erling Haaland are two of the fastest players in the Bundesliga. And it's just it's just an absolute disgrace, in my opinion. Yeah, like what what gets me is that we have a modern institution, one of the diverse, most diverse industries in the world, right? To uh, to a certain level, right? At this moment you reach the boardroom, it gets very white and male fast. But and you still have this sort of thinking and um, mindset. And I'm just thinking to myself, okay, beyond the racism, which is so bad in itself. What does that even mean in terms of leadership? If you just basically say, okay, well, 
this guy is black, so he must be fast and athletic. And you just completely base your entire idea of squad selection on that or opponent scouting. I mean, not only are you stuck in a racist mindset, but you're also stuck in a in in a mindset that's so out of date that it actually will hurt you. And even if you go, so it, so the racism on its own should be enough for Köln to say, well, this is not a coach who we want. But like on top of that, you have a mindset that's possibly really going to hurt your chances of staying in the league because you're basically saying, well, you, you have three black guys who are probably probably very fast. So this is this is the extent of your scouting and match preparation then? Like, I mean, come on. This is this is just so one dimensional. And I, I just can't can't stand when clubs double down and say, like, we stand with our coach. It's like, obviously you made a mistake, cut ties, move on. Maybe there will be another coach out there who could maybe even potentially rescue Köln. That's that's what I think anyways. Yeah, it's very disappointing. I think uh, quite surprising that Köln haven't you know, relieved him of his position, to be honest. Uh, Manu, do, do you think that, that he will be relieved of his position? Or do you think after that statement, you know, Köln aren't going to do anything about it, which is, yeah, as I said, disappointing? Oh, that's such a good question. And I want to th- think that they would take consequences from this. But... Maybe going to get you in your opinion in here as well, Marie. I can't see it. I just don't think that they have the guts to do this, to say, okay, well, we made a wrong decision. Um, we're going to move on and bring in another coach. I, I personally can't see it, but I'm really curious to hear your opinion on this. Yeah, I think if anything, you know, it's not so much the fact that he made this comment. That is the biggest issue here. You can always do a better job at, you know, having a real apology and, you know, maybe say, oh, you know, he's going to talk to some professors or whatever, do some community service. Um, I think the much larger issue is that he coaches a very diverse Bundesliga team of players of all kinds of different backgrounds, whether that's religion, skin color, um, you know, ethnic background, language and mindset, political views you know, and, and when you have a coach making such a comment and then laughing and using that to describe the defeat of his team, you know, it's just, it's ugly. And it makes me wonder, you know, if, if he's going to lose the dressing room over this, because this is something that's very divisive. And I think it's also very much a generational issue where I think, you know, this generation of players who are between you know, their teenage years and their early 30s, I can't imagine that they hold these these same views. So I think, you know, how are they going to trust and follow this coach if he, you know, if this is what he seems to think about them in some ways as well? I think that's that's my biggest concern about all of this and about Cologne's chances moving forward with Funke. Yeah, I, th- I think even if the if the club survive or go down, you know, you have to do something about this, you know, because uh, the the club will live on beyond this season, um, depending on what league they're in. And I think you know it's a it's a big statement to you know back your your players and your your position on this and say that that this is not okay, uh, but. You never know. By the time this podcast reaches your ears, uh, there may be a decision on that. We'll just have to wait and see. But um, yes, we recorded the 
podcast on, on Sunday. Uh, we've um, been able to podcast a, a little bit earlier today because uh, one of the games has been postponed. Uh, but we've just seen Borussia Dortmund uh, beat Werder Bremen. They were losing 1-0 and came back to win 4-1. Um, I must say, Marie, it, it, it was a pretty good weekend for Dortmund, really. When you, you look at the teams um, above them, all dropping points uh, apart from uh, Bayern Munich. And this kind of keeps their Champions League hopes alive just about, doesn't it? Yeah, and I actually think there's a kind of beautiful irony in Marco Rosa, their future coach, really helping out his future team there <laughs> by um, beating Frankfurt with Gladbach, you know. Um, also, perhaps a result that surprised me, uh, maybe among some other spectators, because Frankfurt has been in such good form and Gladbach hasn't. Gladbach only very recently started turning things around um, again. And so this is really um, the dream result for Dortmund. And then the fact that um, after the initial shock today of a few minutes, they just turned it up a gear and um, then very convincingly beat Werder Bremen and never really um, let, you know, you, you never got the sense, even when it was 3-1, you never really got the sense that Bremen would be allowed to come back from that because um, Dortmund was very in control. They had 19 shots and, you know, it was just a very, very good display by this young Dortmund team in their vintage throwback jerseys. I think we should mention those because um, I really like them. You know, I, I'm also a big fan of like 90s soccer designs and uh, jersey fashions. And yeah, um, you know, you have these iconic um, numbers on the back of the jerseys, the kind of three-dimensional look. Um, and really the fact that it was like this neon black kind of combination um, yeah, I, I just think this was a very good weekend uh, for Dortmund in more ways than one. I think some something else that we need to mention is that Erling Haaland um, scored again. Uh, you know, he's had, I think, seven games for club and country where he hadn't uh, scored a goal, which, you know, is normal for someone of his age, but was still unusual because... Haaland is never someone of his age. He's Erling Haaland. <laughs> and um, yeah, good for him to, you know, to come back and by scoring a penalty and then scoring a very good um, goal where he stood in the right place and he almost um, scored a hat-trick. Um, and then it was, of course, offside. But uh, yeah, very, very successful weekend for Dortmund. Yeah, absolutely. And as you said, that kit was stunning, wasn't it? Lovely stuff. Um, I, w- I was almost going to say Chris isn't here because he's in the queue to try and get one, but uh, that's only partly true. Uh, but um, Manu, did, how, how do you feel about um, Dortmund getting into the Champions League? Is it, is, is it a possibility now? I mean, four points behind Eintracht. You know, as Marie said, that, that was a bit of a shock result. Definitely didn't do my fantasy football any favours whatsoever, so I'm a bit peeved about that. But um uh, going back to real football, um, Manu, is, is it likely to happen? Well, it's it was a good match day for them, not just because Frankfurt lost, but Wolfsburg lost as well, right? So it's uh, four points to Frankfurt, five points to Wolfsburg. And more importantly, Dortmund are still playing Wolfsburg. So they could narrow that gap to them to just two points and just hope that Wolfsburg slip up. And when you look at the schedule, I mean, Wolfsburg are playing on Wednesday against Stuttgart, right? as a potential slip-up right there. Then on next weekend, on Saturday, Wolfsburg are playing Dortmund. Um, 
and then Wolfsburg have Union. And mind you, Dortmund still play Leipzig, but maybe the championship race will be truly over by then. And who knows if Leipzig is still fully in it. And then Leipzig play Wolfsburg. Um, you know, so it's kind of interesting how Dortmund are not given just one option to overtake. They, they only need to overtake one of the two teams, right? But they could potentially still overtake both. And I think there is a real, there's a, now a realistic path to actually qualify for the Champions League that was possibly not there even just a few weeks ago. And I think they can be optimistic about it. Mind you, though, they have to win every single game. And we have seen Dortmund slip up on occasions and have not necessarily had the need, the, the, the consistency that they need to really get a good run in. So it is really up to them. They will have to win every single game to make this happen. Yeah, Dortmund have Union Berlin coming up next, and that's no easy feat, is it? Um, yeah, so let, let's. Uh, we've talked about the different uh, twists and turns, um, maybe unexpected uh, occurrences happening this weekend. But one thing that didn't um, surprise us at all was that Schalke lost, and they are still pretty terrible. Uh, so they've they've managed to lose four 0 against uh, Freiburg. Um, it, it's. It's just a, another weekend. I don't know how many times we can we can say really, Marie, that uh, Schalke are really bad and and they need um, a bit of a revamp, don't they? Throughout the well, the whole club. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 kind of like you. There's really no um, rock bottom when it comes to Schalke this season. It's like whenever you think the club has reached rock bottom, they they dig deeper. Um, and this was that, you know, they had no chance against Freiburg. They made Freiburg look like a Champions League team. And they almost had no shots. You know, they they had like hardly any opportunities to speak of, especially in the first half. There was no no movement and attack, no creativity. Suat Seada was extremely poor, as was Amin Arit, you know, the two players who you normally look for for some um, spark and, and some ideas up front. And... You you really have to when when you know when it comes to rebuilding, they're now on their fifth coach this season, and I think he's gonna enter the next season already burnt because you know he's won one game against Augsburg last weekend, but there's no um, visible sign of improvement in how the team is playing, and it's it's just a lot to stomach, and I think. It will take um, more than than this team, this squad, this club currently has to to be uh, promoted again. You know, there are basically as as harsh as it sounds, there are more than two clubs in this uh, Bundesliga two that are better than Schalke. So how are they gonna um, <laughs> how are they gonna come at least third next season? Um, it remains to be seen. There will need to be some very intelligent transfers made this summer to reinforce the squad and prepare the squad for a different league, different opponents, a different style of play. And uh, that costs money. And money is something that Schalke doesn't have. So it's it's a wild ride for sure. And I think, um, you know, in some ways it's, it's inevitable... Um, that they will keep sinking. You know, they could even mathematically already be relegated if they lose the next game against Bielefeld uh, midweek. And um, at this stage, nothing is really showing that they won't lose the next game against Bielefeld. So 
yeah, I think that's that's kind of my two cents about Schalke. Um, I'd be interested to to hear your thoughts as well. I have a few questions um, because I get those questions asked a lot, and I find it always curious. The, the thing that people ask me when I go on on US shows on Schalke, they always ask me like, "Okay, so who are the players that Schalke can turn into cash? What sort of players could they take into Bundesliga to?" Um, to to rebuild, you know, in terms of assets, and I always look at uh, I look at our transfer mark page for Schalke, and I look at the squad. And I'm like, well, okay, there's Matthew Hoppe. There is a market for him, sure, but um, you know, I'm I'm not sure that many clubs will pay a lot of money for him. And then maybe there's Suat Serda. You can maybe turn into cash, and then I, I'm already starting to to struggle a little bit in terms of who is there in terms of you generate money in order to bring in the players that make you successful in Bundesliga too. I mean, one of the jokes is that, you know, Simon Terode is going to come to Schalke now and help them get promoted to Bundesliga, back to the Bundesliga. But players like that cost money. And I'm always, I always think that they're in such a deep hole, not just because of the situation we're in, that they're in, in in Bundesliga right now, but because of when you look at the squad and the the, the, the financial situation of the club, they're not really in a position where they can say, okay, we're going to sell a bunch of players and then bring in the players for Bundesliga 2. They, they don't really have those assets, do they, Mary? No. I mean, this is the this is the thing, right? You, you have a lot of very average aging players, guys like Bastian Okchipka, Benjamin Stambouli. And uh, both of those players, by the way, um, get released from their contracts um, if Schalke gets relegated. So it will be up to them to see if they want to stay and for a new contract to be negotiated with the club. Um, but like you said, there aren't really many uh, diamonds that Schalke has in the bank um, as far as their squad is concerned. And uh, there are, of course, some good young players from the academy, but they're very raw and they're more um, a gamble on the future you have to have patience with them. They're the players that you perhaps want to rebuild with in Bundesliga 2, not the players you want to sell. So guys like Timo Becker, who just extended his contract um, at the club, uh, Chan Bostoan, uh, Aydin, who's been um, playing recently, he's recently made his way into the first team. And they're, they're not exactly like the Leroy Sané, Julian Draxler types that are going to, generate 40 million euros in the summer and and so it, it is a question like are the players that are there right now good enough for promotion are they um cheap enough for the bundesliga too and also you have to wonder if there is a market um for their salaries you know if, if there are other clubs out there who are willing to pay large annual wages for very average players because um, I do forecast that some some of these players will stay with, uh, with Schalke just because as bizarre as it sounds they'll be paid more if they stick with Schalke in Bundesliga 2 than if they go to a club like Freiburg or Augsburg um, and stay in the Bundesliga. 
Yeah, this is it. They, they've not, as you you clearly pointed out, that they've not got a lot in that squad, really, have they? To going forward in the future, it's, it's going to be a, a very difficult time for Schalke. Um, your relegation is a tough thing, but yeah, they, they've got a few issues in a few different areas. But um, I think that more or less does it. This we, we we've covered a, an awful lot of ground, a lot of topics. It was great to have Chris on and Marie. You were brilliant. It was it was great to have you on here. We we would love to have you back again in the future if you'd be happy to come on. Yeah, thanks. I had a really um, good time. I enjoyed this and uh, I'd be happy to come back on anytime. Well, thanks. And also you, you mentioned about the YouTube videos. Um, how, how can people get some um, access to these? Where, where should they go? Sure. So it's a show for the Transfer Exchange Show. Um, so you can follow them at um, the Transfer X on Twitter, um, or you can follow me on Twitter at Marie Shubo. That's M-A-R-I-E-S-C-H-U-B-O. I usually pin the newest video to the top of my Twitter profile. Or if you want to make it super easy, just go on YouTube and search Marie's Bundesliga Minutes and you'll find all the episodes there. Perfect. Certainly check them out, guys. They're great. Um, yeah, so that does it for this week. Uh, enjoy the English vodka. Yes, there's um, midweek games. Uh, enjoy them. We'll be back before you know it. So thanks for myself, Marie, Chris and Manu of Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.